If you go through a design process, by the time you get to the end and you develop a product, making any significant change to that is not only nearly impossible, it's often very costly. A lot of people, when they go to a new location, they buy one of the travel guides to that country. And ideas that are all centered or framed with the goal of supporting identity development. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, educators and innovators, welcome to the electrifying season three of ISSEDU Learn. Ask me anything with your dynamic host, Mike P and Dana. We're not just here to make waves, we're here to ride the tidal waves of your incredible support to the 21,000 strong downloaders and listeners who joined us on this incredible journey. We tip our hats to you. Your unwavering enthusiasm and active engagement fuels the very heartbeat of our mission. This season, we're not holding back. We're unleashing a tsunami of valuable insights, strategies, and practical wisdom that will effortlessly weave into the tapestry of your educational institutions. Whether you're ready to implement change today or set sail on a journey of profound exploration, trust us, we got you covered. For the inside scoop of upcoming events and certification opportunities that rock your world, point your browsers to iss.edu slash events. Are you ready to ride the podcast wave of a lifetime? Mike P and Dana are here to make it happen. Let the learning adventures begin. ISSEDU Learn, Ask Me Anything, Season 3. Dive in. Ladies and gentlemen, educators and change makers, prepare to be wowed by another exhilarating episode of EDU Learn, Ask Me Anything, proudly presented by ISS EDU. I'm your host, Mike P, the educator's best friend. And today, my delightful co-host, Dr. Dana Specker-Watts, is taking a well-deserved day off. But don't worry, we still got a fantastic show lined up for you. But don't forget, we do have our ISS associate here, Molly Fay, who's serving as the voice of the audience. Molly Fay is the customer support and technology coordinator at ISS. Molly Fay, since Dana is not here today, I'll do the weather check on you. What's the weather looking like? Sounds great. Well, I am currently in beautiful Bogota, Colombia. And even though it's rainy season, today is just sunny and it's slightly cool and it's just Probably my favorite type of weather. So the best I could ask for, yeah. Nice. You feeling cool inside too? Yeah. It's comfy. You know, I've got kind of a cozy jacket and it's a good day. (laughs) Nice to hear. Welcome back, listeners, to season three, episode eight of our podcast. We're beyond grateful of your unwavering support. Don't forget to hit the subscribe and the like button and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platforms. We could be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, and a galaxy of other platforms. Our mission is still crystal clear. It is to equip you with invaluable insights and practical strategies for your educational institutions. This season is an adventure through illuminating discussions and a treasure trove of actionable insights. Be sure to stay informed about any upcoming virtual events that we may have and certifications by visiting iss.edu slash events. Also for career opportunities, you can also explore our virtual and in-person job fairs. Buckle up for another exciting ride as we explore the realms of education and innovation together. Today, I'd like to introduce our guest, John Burns. John Burns is the Chief Innovation Officer for International School Services. John focuses on sparking creativity and innovation across ISS learning communities. 
Our discussion today is going to be centered around expanding innovation in international schools. Before we get started on the topic today, let's just take a moment to greet our esteemed guest today, John. John, how are you? Good, Mike. Good, Molly. Fai. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Where are you calling from? Brisbane, Australia, where it's unseasonally warm for spring. I think it was 33 degrees today. So yeah, it's going to be a hot summer for sure. Oh, that would be Celsius, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah, yeah, not Fahrenheit. <laughs> like 33 <laughs> degrees is not warm. <laughs> Immediately confused everyone from the outset. Uh, understood. It's very good to have you here with us today, John. Did you Thank just want to tell our guests a little bit about yourself in regards to innovation? Like where did you get your innovation influence from and where are yeah. you now with it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I guess in terms of the work I do with schools and organizations, it's around sparking and scaling innovation. And often it can be a little unclear what innovation actually refers to. So I like to sort of always discuss it in in line with creativity. So creativity is like the big idea you have when you're in the shower or you're out going for a walk or you're reading a book or you're distracted from the work you're normally doing. And it sort of manifests and sort of gestates and it grows for a while and you think about it and you come back to it again. And innovation really is the practical execution of that to provide value. So often you'll have this great big creative idea and it'll sit with you for days or weeks or months and hopefully eventually filter into an innovative practice or idea or initiative that you can implement that brings value. So that's where I focus my work on. And really, when we're talking about the context of pre-K-12 schooling, that can be innovation in terms of leadership and mission. It can be innovation in terms of environment, which is really the physical and digital environments that we leverage within schools. It can be innovation in terms of uh, community practice and community engagement, how we work with our broader communities, not just students or staff within schools. And then it could be innovation in terms of our practice, our contemporary pedagogies, our curriculum, you know, the stuff right at the coalface of the work we do with learners. Now, all this sounds like a whole process that could be a little intimidating at first. So are you able to share with us some insights about like fundamental principles and factors when an educator or educational institution is considering scaling innovation in their field of education? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, it is a little bit intimidating. I think probably where we've had most success is in the realization that great ideas can come from anywhere. And often those innovations, nearly always those innovations exist within your school already. It's really about uncovering them, discovering those and helping those ideas really grow and flourish so that everyone can reap the rewards. It's not so much about bringing someone in who's going to spark innovation in your school and and drive change, but really recognizing the experts you have in the school, the great ideas amongst your parents, the skill sets in your student community, and really tapping into those so that you can, I guess, bring value and grow these different initiatives within your organization without the need of going outside and bringing in new technology and bringing in new resources and bringing in uh, new support to a school. It's nearly always there already. It's just really about digging it up and uncovering it. Are you an educator looking to elevate your career? Consider Moreland University, your gateway to success in international schools. They offer fully online programs with flexible start dates 
and affordable tuition rates, allowing you to balance work and personal life. Morley University isn't your typical institution. Say goodbye to dull lectures and hello to engaging, interactive learning with passionate educators like yourself. It's a hands-on education that sparks creativity and prepares you for the real-world challenges. With Moreland University, you can earn a prestigious U.S. teaching certification or a master's degree in education from anywhere in the world. Their programs are designed to empower you to become a leader in your field. Don't wait. Take your steps forward, transforming your career today. Visit www.moreland.edu and apply now. Let Moreland University help you make a difference in student lives worldwide, one classroom at a time. Your journey to becoming an exceptional educator starts with Moreland University. A brighter future begins with you. Now, bringing in a culture of innovation, it's crucial for you to have success, sustained success inside of the innovation. So could you provide us examples of strategies that would foster culture and that would encourage things as the creativity as you're speaking, uh, risk-taking mm-hmm. and collaboration amongst educators, students, and stakeholders? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And that really falls into the community piece I was speaking to earlier. I think when we're speaking about creativity and innovation schools, as we know, a lot of those great ideas can already be present but they're just not visible. Often schools have a mission a statement. They'll have strategic priorities for three years or so. And those will guide decisions and direction across the school for that period of time. What I think we can do better is leverage the wider community in supporting that strategic vision and really have some agency, have some you know, level of control and ownership over what's happening. So if you have got strategic priorities, how might we go about engaging our community in support of those so that everyone understands what the school's trying to achieve and we're uncovering those innovations as we go? One way you can do that, that we've found effective and many organizations already do this, it's not new, is by engaging the community in design thinking. So really using design thinking as a process for working with student groups, parent groups, staff groups in line with that top-down strategic direction that exists. And the big benefit of design thinking being that it, re- so it doesn't require to ask at the beginning that you empathize with those you're designing for, so that you're really thinking about who you're designing for in an instance of looking at recruitment practices and being in- innovative in terms of your recruitment practices or in terms of your early years pedagogies and practices you're using or in terms of a new learning space or facility you're setting up. And once you've empathized, working through a process of really tapping into the skills and expertise of that community, of that team, to build and support prototypes or innovations that could be useful to the group. So, John, as Mike mentioned at the top of the podcast, he called me kind of the voice of the people because when people submit questions, I I share them with the facilitator. Yeah. Yeah. So this is kind of playing into the response you just gave, but Mm. maybe this will kind of spark something for you expand or, or give more information. But the question that was submitted, the question of the day, is scaling successful initiatives is often challenging. What Mm. effective strategies have you encountered or implemented to ensure the scalability of innovative projects? And how do you align them with school goals and engage relevant stakeholders for long-term sustainability? Yeah, wow, that's a big one. Okay, yeah, I think think we could answer that. (laughs) So (laughs) if there's two parts of it, it's like, how do you scale them and then how do you ensure they can be supported in their growth? I think mm-hmm. it does tap into a little of what I was speaking before. This The scaling process 
certainly is that design thinking process. Because the nice thing about design thinking is, you know, there's those five phases, like, you know, empathize, which is where you understand what the user needs. You then go, okay, we're going to define a problem that we're addressing or solving then. So you sort of narrow it down a bit further and you go, this is probably what we're addressing. You then start ideating and coming up with lots of ways that you could address that problem and brainstorming and going quite broad again and being quite divergent in your thinking. And then you start mapping and drilling down towards something that you can prototype and actually test to see if it is useful to the community and to see if it can have impact. Now, that's all well and good to do because you can run a design sprint around a strategic priority that could run for two days or it could run for a couple of weeks. You can structure them in lots of ways. And you will have all these products and prototypes at the end that may or may not be useful. So how do you actually help them grow? And I think this is where the school leadership is really critical because there needs to be time and space for that to happen. So if it's a priority that we are scaling innovation and garnering the collective wisdom of a group, then we need to make sure that that team is given the time to check in, is given the time to have feedback and provide feedback on the work they're doing and the, how the prototype or initiative's going. That's given the resources to support that as well, whether it's financial or just time off classes or additional professional learning or PD or tools that they might need to do that work. So if you're going to head down the path of doing these prototypes and truly value staff, student, parental input and really give them ownership over these initiatives, if it's going to be successful, they also require support. It can't just be like done and dusted at the end of the prototype phase. Yep, we did a great job. Now let's move on. There's got to be that cycle of support after. And often in schools, we use the term action research really as a framework for that, where the team then has the time to go through iterations of testing it, modifying it, and then ultimately giving feedback about what this might become based off their testing. Give them the time to make it, and that's great and people love that, but absolutely provide all the resources necessary so they can test and support and grow that idea as well. Thanks so much, John, for that response. Just wanted you to expand in regards to, because you're, you're telling us that innovation is going to need a group of people and a group of thoughts in order for it to work. So mm. in essence, collaboration is important. So could you share some methods or platforms that you found is most effective for facilitating collaboration among education, students, and various stakeholders. As an educational professional, you likely understand the positive and crucial role inclusion has on classroom culture. And you might be on the lookout for a community of like-minded educators. Senya International is that community. Senya is a nonprofit organization that advocates for individuals with disabilities and promotes inclusive educational practices across the globe. With a network of educators, families, students, and professionals, Senya offers connection, professional learning, and support for educators like you. Connect with the Senya community via our membership program or a local chapter in your area. Enjoy professional learning with the Senya community via our podcasts, online certification, program, and in-person or virtual conferences. Support Senya through our sponsorships, awards, and scholarship program. So, what are you waiting for? For more information, head to our website, senyainternational.org. That's S-E-N-I-A international.org. And together, we continue to make a difference and fulfill our vision of living in an inclusive world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
And yeah, so it's sort of like, what, what could it look like? What's it practically look like if you want to try and kick this off and really tap into that collective wisdom, give people agency over strategic priorities in the school, give them or inspire them or provide them with a chance to innovate and create something new. If you had to do it practically and you'd never done it before, you could have a single day within your school that this could be done. So it could be a student-free day in the beginning. So you might do it at sort of a proof of concept with teachers initially. So a single day, you could have groups working in small teams. We found in the work we've done, teams of three to five seem to work well. They're not too small that they don't have enough people to bounce ideas off with, but they're not too big where it gets sort of slows down if you're dealing with a larger group. You give them lots of resources, so definitely lean on their devices. So it's great to have MacBooks and Windows laptops and Chromebooks and iPads. Those sort of things are useful. But honestly, sometimes collaboration is far easier when you just got a big piece of paper and some markers and pens and post-its and things. So give them the resources they need. And then you just want a, a simple but articulated design process for them to work through. So if I was looking at the design thinking process as a sort of a proof of concept, I'm running it with my, our staff to see how this works. I just have one strategy for each of those phases of the design process. So for the empathize stage, I might go, well, it might be easiest if we just have a simple interview strategy where they can go around and interview other teams so they can get a, a sense or a feel for how others feel about this broad concept or idea. You might have a simple pro, sorry, strategy for defining ideating, prototype, and testing because design thinking is wonderful, but there are a multitude of strategies for each phase. So I'd probably pick on one for each phase. And then as they move through that process, so they get maybe half an hour to do the empathizing phase, they get an hour to do the define. So they move through with one strategy. The key is at the end, really having a showcase when they get to that prototyping phase and they've done a little bit of testing at the end, having a celebration, having a showcase so everyone can see what everyone else has worked on. And then maybe they'll be inspired to engage with another team, or maybe they'll have transparency to another way of thinking about the problem they're also addressing. So I think, yeah, start small, start with stuff, do it for one day, get okay at it, and then try it again. Then maybe try it with parents, then try it with students, then maybe have a community group where you've got a mix of different people. But as long as that work is nested within, I think, your strategic direction, so it's helping support things the school's working on, and as long as that work is then supported post-design sprint, you're like, okay, we really valued what you did. We'd like you to check in again in a month. We'll give you some time. We're going to give you some time to PL day to share what you're doing next time. Uh, we'd like a bit of a showcase again in the future. If you need any supporting resources, here they are. Yeah, just do it. It's really simple to run in a day and then you can go, well, based off that, here's what we might try next time. We might try it with different groups or we might try a longer structure. But yeah, it's dead easy to start. It really is. And people love doing it because it just shows you trust and value their opinions and their professionalism. Thanks, John, for that very in-depth response. I wanted to switch the topic a little bit to something that is a little bit more recent in regards to education. So now we just spoke about collaborating and I feel like there's a collaborating tool that's out there that's <laughs> a little bit more than a collaborator and I just wanted to speak mm. about it. So the, the big tool would be uh, AI, like the you know, chat GPT that we have. Now you went deep into design thinking and speaking about things as interviewing of other teams in order to get their perspective on a particular product as being made and also different ideations of a prototype. If you're 
making a product. So I wanted to know your thoughts about using AI in order to do these things. In in essence, would AI or ChatGPT be a collaborator? If let's say if it was just one person doing all this, but utilizing ChatGPT as though they were different teams, because you know you could prompt it to maybe mm-hmm. think a certain way, and now you have two different, three different teams that you can interview and ask different questions in order to get results and data from. Yeah, that's a good idea. You could definitely do that. Look, it's absolutely fascinating. Generative AI, ChatGPT, Bard, Claude, all these tools that have emerged. It's fascinating to think and explore their potential impact on teaching and learning, on personalized learning, and on a lot of different elements of teacher and student productivity as well. We know a couple of things about these tools that we've got to be cautious of. You know, We know that they can produce harmful and biased content based on the data sets they've been trained on. The web is large up to 2021 recently, and now it's all live if you're looking at ChatGPT4. We know they're incorrect sometimes, so we know we have to run our own professional eye and we have to support others in doing the same over the responses we get. But if we're cognizant of those things, absolutely, I think there's some really powerful ways you can use it, Uh, particularly on the teacher, not even teacher, I was going to say teacher productivity, but more just with adult learners and supporting the work that they do. Certainly you can do role-based. Yeah, ChatGPT and these tools, it's fantastic at taking on different roles. Like I've seen teachers use ChatGPT to set up role plays for students so that they might be looking at taking different perspectives on a controversial issue or topic. ChatGPT is really good at identifying the different perspectives, some of the thinking those individuals might have, some of the discussion or pain points they might have about that issue. So within the realms of design thinking, I hadn't considered it that way, Mike. That's smart. Yeah, I think I might try that. Thank you. So, John, with AI becoming more and more integrated into like educational systems, you see a lot of teachers, a lot of parents having concerns about like data privacy, ethical Mm. usage. How could like an educational institution work on that balance between power harnessing that of AI, but then at the same time, ensuring the privacy and security of the student, of their data, of the school, et cetera? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the big question, isn't it? There's a couple of things. So I think primarily the the area we're seeing these tools or the, the areas where these tools could immediately have impact in terms of teacher learning is improving productivity for educators and for school leaders and for the adults within the learning organization. And when I say improving productivity, I mean um, freeing up time, doing some of the things that took a lot of time previously in a shorter period so that you can focus on other things. So as an educational professional, you can now focus more on facilitation strategies or pedagogies or personalizing learning or better formative assessment. So I think there are great things, things that it's great at that can save us time. And absolutely, there are risks associated with students using it. And even some caveats where I think you have to be a certain age to use a lot of these platforms and it differs for different ones. So right now, a lot of the advice or suggestions I guess we're giving is that it's a tool that pre-K-12 institutions look at for their adults, for their adults to engage with and to certainly discuss with students. But we're not on mass saying students should be engaging with these tools yet because of those concerns you had. We don't know where this data exactly is being stored when it's submitted. So if the information we're providing is suddenly being included in the training, we don't know where it might unintentionally be released or intentionally released in the future. So 
Absolutely. We'd never suggest sharing identifiable, privileged or sensitive data with these systems. So anything like that couldn't be included. I wouldn't be linking these services to other platforms within your organization yet, like Teams or Google Workplace or those sort of things. But I'd certainly be encouraging teachers and educators and school leaders to explore how it might support their productivity so they can focus on some of the other more important areas of their business. I know that was a long answer, Molly, no, but, but yeah, because it's it's fascinating. It's just so interesting. There are amazing ways you can use it. We're right at the sort of tip of this technology and we just, yeah, I think we've got to be a little bit risk adverse in terms of how we engage with students. But I will add, sorry, I've seen some wonderful examples of teachers working, showcasing to students how they're using it for their own productivity, how they go around mitigating risk, how they use it to support their own workflows and giving students the chance to interact with it via them. So it's not a student signing up. It's not a student using their own email. It's not a student putting in information that isn't sort of vetted by someone, but the teacher acting as a sort of a, I guess, a layer of security between the tool and the student. We know though for a fact, like students are all using, a lot of students are using this already, right? The reality of the situation, they're going to be using it. But I just think we have to be a little bit careful about how we, how we endorse that in schools. Thanks, John. Hi, everyone. This is Aaron Moniz, one of the co-founders of Inspire Citizens. My name is Scott Jameson, and I'm the Global Collaborations Lead for Inspire Citizens. We help inspire schools to live their mission of global citizenship. We look at existing units through the lens of empathy to impact and connect student learning with themes like sustainable development, harmony with nature, social justice, and the holistic well-being of our community. We also work with students to code Design student leadership programs. Another way that we support educators is through our Global Citizenship Certificate in partnership with ISS. This certificate program involves best practice resources for global citizenship education, interactive opportunities to engage with other cohort members, a great team of coaches to walk you through your learning, and optional opportunities to connect via seminars with other participants from around the world. Please visit inspirecitizens.org and click on the Inspire Educators tab to register for the Global Citizenship Certificate, visit the ISS website, or go to the ISS EduLearn Passport to register today. At Inspire Citizens, we believe that the young people in our schools have the potential to lead change and inspire others through their work towards a more sustainable future. We look forward to working with you, and we hope that together, our resources and your contacts can help to create a more harmonious future. I was recently at the Trike Conference in Colombia, um, which is one of the reasons why I'm still in Bogota. They talked a little on ChatGPT, and uh, it was interesting to see kind of the varied reaction from all the teachers in attendance. So thanks for going so in-depth on that response and giving some additional insight to uh, the educators that listen to the podcast. Yeah, no, I'll, sorry, I want to add something. And I'm definitely not an expert. It'd be so difficult for anyone to be an expert in this. So we're, we're looking at, you know, what are the evolving practices? What are the ways we can use it while also mitigating risk and supporting our communities, right? Yeah, I don't think many people would claim to be an expert in this, but you can definitely get better at it with regular interaction, regular use. Molly Faye, I'm just interested to see, was the perspectives of the teachers from the conference, were they positive or negative at this point in regards to chat GPT? So many of the teachers, it surprised me a little bit, 
they had no kind of baseline understanding of ChatGPT, how to use it in a classroom. And so I don't know if it was positive or negative. I think it was more like surprise and maybe some realization of like, oh, this is a tool that, you know, we've only heard can help with cheating or, you know, things like that, but Mm -hmm. the new different ways to harness it, the different ways to use it for innovation, et cetera. I think, I think it sparked something. So it was hard to gauge if it was positive or negative, but it was definitely thought provoking. I say fair because I don't expect everyone to know about it because there's like cycles of technology that people kind of go through. And like, for me, I'm like the early stages is when I tap in. You're an early adopter. Yeah, we're like 10 months in with this thing. So I wouldn't expect, I'm not surprised that a lot of teachers are not even, have knowledge about it. But that's interesting. Because in the beginning, when we we also did one, maybe in January, we spoke a lot about AI. The reason why I asked is because there was a lot of negative perspectives in regards with the whole cheating scenario or plagiarism happening. So I was just seeing if the thought has changed over the last few months. Yeah. I haven't dived into this enough, but I know there are a number of universities now, certainly in Australia, and I've seen examples being shared on Twitter, where they encourage students to use uh, generative AI in support of developing their assessments. But then they encourage them to actively share where it helped, where it didn't help. It's sort of got a framework for saying where it was supportive, where it wasn't, where it aided their assignment work, where they've cited different things related to ChatGPT or other tools they've used. So they're sort of embracing it in some regard. And then you hear the other side where they're going back to paper-based tests. And that's happening in schools as well, for sure. Yeah, I think we really need to look at how can it affect or impact positively our productivity, save us some time, and then really how, yeah, to your point, Mike, where might it spark some innovation in terms of some of our practices, whether it's, you know, our pedagogy or assessment pieces or how we design our classrooms or how we engage the community, you know, there's... I think there's some real opportunity there as well. But there's certainly lots of cool things it can do for K-12 teachers. Thanks so much, John, for your time. We're approaching the end of our show. If you wanted to let our listeners know where they can reach you, whether it's a website or... Yeah, yeah. If you've got... Yeah, email's probably easy. It's just jburns at iss.edu. Always happy to chat about all things creativity, innovation, and generative AI is certainly the hot topic we're speaking about a lot now. But yeah, happy to happy to reach out or, or chat with anyone that contacts me. Thanks, John. We're ending off our show. Molly Faith, do you have any last words? Just gratitude, John. It's always fun to listen to you talk, bring these new ideas to light. And uh, thanks for letting me buy, be a part of the podcast. I know Dana's not here and big shoes to fill, but it's been a blast. So thanks. Happy to have you here, Molly Faye. Yeah, thank you, Molly Bay. Mike. It was fun. Thank you so much, John, for sharing your valuable insights and experiences with us today. It's been a pleasure having you on EDU Learn. Ask me anything. And for our listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you found this episode inspiring and informative, please be sure to hit the like, subscribe, and share an AMA with your educated friends. Stay tuned for more exciting episodes. Until next time, keep exploring, keep learning, and keep making a positive impact in the world of education. Until next time. Bye-bye.